Well, good morning to all of you, and good morning online. Really uh, blessed to be able to worship with you. If you have a Bible, would you open to the book of 1 Peter, please? John went to work on uh, Friday, the 31st of March, uh, like any other day. He'd been married not terribly long before and uh, had just bought a house a while back with his new wife and they were remodeling and just enjoying settling in to life together. Um, I don't know what the conversation around the breakfast table was. You know, in a remodel, it's probably, hey, when we get back, maybe we can paint that wall or hang that cabinet. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what all they talked about, but left the house, both of them to go to their jobs, just like any other day. And around three o'clock in the afternoon, um, John's phone dings and there's a picture that his neighbor has sent of his house, which seems maybe odd that your neighbor would reach out at three o'clock in the afternoon and send you a picture of your house. Um, but an F3 tornado had just gone through their neighborhood. It just touched down and wiped out pretty much everything. And so the neighbor who had been there and had survived took the picture and sent it to John so that he could see what his house looked like. And he tried to make it there and he got turned back and finally later on he, he and his wife were able to make it there and it was a total loss. Um, get up in the morning, everything's going one direction, and it seems like, wow, we can come back and, you know, whatever the plans were for the evening, I don't know, but we do some more remodeling, spend some time together, whatever, and by the end of the day, everything's been completely disrupted, and um, whole life has been turned upside down. Now, I know this story because John is my brother, and he and his wife are fine, and both of their sets of kids are fine, and they're just in the process of processing all of this, and it's pretty traumatic, but, but they're okay, right? It's something that came in totally out of the blue and has changed everything, and it's just a reminder that um, we all plan our ways, right? We all have ideas, here's what's gonna happen, here's how my life's gonna proceed, here's what I'm gonna do next, uh, but we actually have no control. Now, sometimes the thing that comes towards us may be really exciting. It may not be a tornado to wipe out the house we just bought. It could be something that's really a delight. We find out we're about to have a baby or an, an offer of a new job comes through that's gonna change everything or you know, there's all kinds of things that come in and they surprise us and they change the course of our lives. Sometimes it is sitting with a doctor and there's a diagnosis that is life-changing or there's a relationship that's disintegrating and the plan or the dream that I had isn't gonna work the way that I thought, right? There's just a lot of reminders that we sometimes forget about. And um, when we just stop and, and take real stock, it's like life's not really in our control. The message of Easter and particularly the passage we're gonna look at this morning is uh, God speaking into that world and speaking to people saying, I am going to make you some promises, and those promises are clear and anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those are promises that you can count on, like you can't count on so many things. In fact, he's going to really promise two things. He's going to promise that their future is uh, guaranteed and that their faith walk is, is good, right? The future is guaranteed and the faith journey is, is good. 
And the guaranteed part um, starts just talking about things like heaven. And it's easy um, for us to live in the world of, of tornadoes and um, doctor's appointments and new jobs and health crises and say, that's all fine and good, but what about right now? And the passage is actually gonna address that question, but I wanna back us up, and one of the reasons I wanted to start with my brother's story is because it's a reminder of how everything changes, including that tornado did kill a few people. Thankfully, nobody that I know, but people lost their lives. People who got up in the morning and had their breakfast and were planning to do whatever they were gonna do and didn't make it through the end of the day. And as we come to the promises of Easter, there are promises that are made at two levels. There's promises that are made for the nitty gritty of daily life, and they're realistic. They deal with the fact that life's hard. Life is sometimes a struggle. Life is sometimes a challenge. And it addresses those and says, here's here's what I'm promising you in that. And then they also go beyond that. The promises go to what is ultimate. And what is ultimate may seem remote right now, but I just don't know what my future holds. And so at any moment, I do need to be ready to end this life and go into the next. And Easter and the promises that are embedded in this passage address both of those, both of those realities. And I think there's a lot of encouragement there. And my hope is that we would kind of process these things through our own life and say, all right, Lord, what is it that you want me to take from this? What is it you want me to, to celebrate, to anchor in? What is it you want me to respond to? Because these are promises that ultimately God wants to make to you and me. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 1, Um, Let's read, starting in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the overarching promise. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, because Easter is a reality, there's a, there's a living hope that we can be born into, a whole new life, and all the promise that comes with that because Jesus conquered death, because God did extraordinary things at the cross, and those things were all vindicated and authenticated and made accessible to us when Jesus rose from the dead. And so he's saying, those who have responded in faith to Christ have been born into a whole new reality and, and they're, they're born into this living hope. We have a living hope because of a living savior. Everything flows from that and then this next little section unpacks those two, two points that I gave you a minute ago that for, for people that have that living hope, for people that are born into that living hope, um, my future is guaranteed. My future is guaranteed and um, my faith walk is good. Right? My future is guaranteed. There's the ultimate picture. My faith walk is good. That's the right now and the nitty gritty of life. So let's, let's continue down through that passage. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, right? There's the first point. My future as one who's born to that new hope. 
It's guaranteed, right? He has an inheritance for me that is in heaven, right? It stands waiting for me to claim. And it won't fade. It won't um, be defiled. It won't perish. It's, it's secure, and it doesn't, it doesn't diminish, right? Now, this is a guarantee that he's making. Um, I think when we think in terms of guarantees, we think in terms that aren't helpful biblically. Because a guarantee typically, we like having guarantees, right? I, I bought a little part for a telescope recently and I bought it through a, an online nerd trade thing, right? And, and so when I bought it from this guy, I don't even know who lives back in like New Jersey, um, I used PayPal because I don't know this guy who lives back in New Jersey, right? And PayPal is supposed to protect me and protect him with a guarantee. But the guarantee is not that I promise you will sell your eyepiece and you will like the eyepiece that you get. It doesn't promise that because they can't make that promise. The money back guarantee is if it doesn't work out, we'll give you your money back. No harm, no foul. Everyone can go back to a neutral corner and start over, right? The kinds of guarantees that we typically experience aren't technically guarantees. They're like, well, we pretty sure. We're, we're so sure that if it doesn't work, well, then, then we'll try to unwind it and make it better again, right? That's not actually a guarantee. That's just a, an insurance policy against if it doesn't happen. God is actually making a guarantee. This is going to happen. I have this reserved for you. This is not a money-back guarantee. It's not if it doesn't work out, you don't, you know, you can start over. It's this is there. It is yours. I promise. It won't perish. It won't fade. It won't be defiled. It is reserved in heaven. It, is, it stands waiting for you to claim it. It's secure. That's really actually a pretty cool thing we sometimes overlook because we get our, our heads down and we're so embroiled in just the day-to-day, the next thing that we're doing that we don't always stick our heads up a little bit and say, but there's a bigger picture and that bigger picture is pretty amazing. Right now I'm going through this part of the journey and this part of the journey has all its challenges and opportunities and I, I have to pay attention to that. But this part of the journey is only that. It's only part of the journey and the bigger reality is coming and it is absolutely guaranteed. It is absolutely anchored and it's not just I promise that I will get it. It's a promise that it will be worth it. Right? It's not going to fade. It's not going to perish. It's not going to be defiled. It's not going to be diminished. Um, I, I, some of you may remember, I shared this a number of years ago, but this is, my, uh, this is my claim to wealth as an oil baron right here. Um, this, is, this is the title deed to 60 acres in West Texas. And it is signed by an A.L. Huntington in October of 1916, who sold it to my grandmother, who had recently been widowed. My great-grandmother, I'm sorry. And so this is the family estate. Uh, she bought it in 1916. I, was, I did a little math, and I figured out, hey, I have a 132, 132nd share of this. And my brother has a 132nd share, and my sister has a 132nd share. I've got 132nd share of 60 acres in West Texas, let me tell you. And what's interesting, at least to me, about this is that in uh, 1916, she bought this in 1924, 
the fry oil field was discovered under that property and all the neighboring properties. Incredibly wealthy strike. And it made everyone, everyone, everyone in that whole region wealthy. They had 3,000 people working around the clock to pull the oil from the ground. And everyone was involved, except for my family. Now, I'd like to say it was something like, well, we didn't want to mess up the world with fossil fuels, and so we were taking some sort of a stand. But actually, it's, we just, I don't know. I, we were just dumb. I'm not sure. We, we never did anything with it. And the thing is, everyone else around was so aggressive that within eight years, it had, it had pumped out. Now, in those eight years, everyone became very wealthy, except for the bishops. <laughs> and so I have one thirty-second share of 60 acres of Texas in the middle of nowhere dirt. Just dirt. It's not worth anything. A few years ago, actually, somebody reached out to, I had a company that wanted to lease the oil rights, and I figured my share, uh, my signing bonus is $56.25, and my share of the lease was going to be $96 a year. But of course, if they found any oil, and maybe we'd get something there, but of course, they didn't find any oil, and I didn't actually sign the lease because it was too big of a headache. It wasn't worth the $145 that I was going to get to go through all the rigmarole, especially since there's all these other family members that have to sign, so my lease wouldn't have done anything anyway, right? It is a, that, you know what this is? I'm not an oil baron. I'm just a sentimental guy who has a piece of paper that his great-grandmother had. That's all this is. This is really not worth anything. Once upon a time, it was worth a fortune. Um, now it's just, it's just kind of a cool piece of paper. It's all it is. Because all of its value drained away. In that case, literally drained away. What he's saying is, I want you to understand, you've been born into a new hope guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let's start by putting the big pieces in place. Number one, your future is guaranteed. You know, before we get to the nitty gritty of just the next moment, ultimate reality is anchored and it is amazing. You have an inheritance reserved in heaven that will not be spoiled. It will be there, it will be worth it, it is absolutely secure, nothing will diminish it or take it away from you. And not only is it going to be there, the other part of the guarantee is, and you will get there. Keep reading, right? He says there's this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. You rejoice not only that there is this inheritance that's yours, eternal life with Jesus and all that comes with that, but you're gonna get there. God is guarding you moment by moment. There's this daily reality of God carrying you forward. Yes, you need to be the one who responds in faith, but the emphasis is on God guarding me in my journey to guarantee I get there. This is not something that I'm gonna fail to enter. This is not something that I'm gonna mess up or somehow 
get off track. This is something that God in his power is moving me along and will bring me to because I've been born again to a living hope. There's a living savior who has rescued me and brought me into a whole new reality and eternal life that is mine forever and God is going to take me where I need to be. He wants them to understand that and he would want us to understand that too. Part of the beauty of Easter is it sets the ultimates in in place where they're, where they're not, no longer in question, they're no longer at risk, they're no longer in doubt. The reality is if I've been born again to this living hope, my future is guaranteed. It will be there, it will be worth it, and I will get there because God guarantees it. And it's not a money back guarantee. If it doesn't work out, you get your money back, no harm, no foul. It's like, no, an actual guarantee, this will actually happen. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that is guaranteeing this will happen. Now that's actually really encouraging news. That's something when we celebrate on Easter Sunday, that's one of the things that we celebrate. And in our world where we get so focused on just what's in front of us, in fact, where sometimes this aspect of the promise can feel a little bit, well, naive, right? There's the real world. And and the real world is not about happily ever afters. This is a promise of happily ever after. This says life actually is happily ever after. And that doesn't show up anywhere. We don't have movies that do that. Even in Marvel superhero movies, people have to die, right? People, things have to go hard. Uh, we, don't, we don't believe in that. It's naive. It's not, it's not gritty and nuanced and, and, and um, ambiguous like life seems to be to us. Because if, if, if it is not, if it's, if it's happily ever after, that's called a rom-com, right? And we go, oh, isn't that nice? And then we go on. You know, and, and nobody ever asks after they play the music and the sun sets and the couple rides off into the sunset. What happens the next day? When they wake up and they have to do the next day. And he has to go to work and she has to go to work and her mom is being a pain and he's, you know, he's not Prince Charming like he appeared for the 30 seconds of heavily retouched film. Right, it, 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 life happens. Kids are born, job change happens, bad diagnoses, financial setbacks, all kinds of stuff, even good stuff. Good stuff can pressure us too. I got this great job opportunity, but it's in Philadelphia. Well, whoa, uh, uh, what do I do with that? Right, that, that's life. You know, the rom-com kind of ends on that peppy notes, and it's like, great, but happily ever after isn't real world, is it? And, and this is saying, no, actually it is. Actually, happily ever after is the real world reality. It doesn't begin in this moment, but it is real, and we need to own that and say, it's going to be okay, ultimately, because I've been born again to a living hope because of a living savior. My future is guaranteed. That's settled. I can look forward to that. I can anticipate that. I can celebrate that. And then what about this next moment that might be a little bit more ambiguous, gritty, unclear, difficult? Well, the passage goes on. In fact, verse six starts off by saying, in this you rejoice, talking about both the new hope being born again into and then the inheritance that comes with that. And then there's three those that show up. 
That same verse, verse six, though, and then down in verse eight, though shows up twice. And it's like he's saying, yeah, here's all the cool stuff, but, but, but. Here's all the cool stuff, though, though, though. Right, and what he's doing is he's saying, I'm not being naive here. I'm not just talking about pie in the sky. Here's something that's gonna happen in the future. I want you to know that. I want you to know that's real. That's not pie in the sky. That's actually the anchor point. But I also understand the world you're living in right now isn't smooth. It's rough, it's bumpy, it's disjointed. Houses get swept away in tornadoes when you thought you were gonna just come home and have dinner. I get that. So though this is all true and you're rejoicing in that, there's this tension point. So let's talk about that tension point. And in that tension point, what he, what he shows us is that my faith journey is good, right? My My future's guaranteed, but my faith journey now, my journey through this life, when it's done as an expression of faith, is this partnership with Jesus as one who has been born into this living hope, living that out. It's good, it's good. It's not not perfect, it's not fairy tale, but it's, it's good, it's beautiful. Even though there's hard, hard matters, hard goes places that are good to go. Hard brings good stuff. There's joy in the journey. Even though the relationship that I have with, with Jesus is, is, is a little complicated, it just brings great joy as I journey. Those are the two things he actually highlights, right? Hard, uh, my, my faith journey is good, and the first things he talks about is hard brings good, right? Because I'm journeying with Jesus, because I've been born into this um, living hope, because of the living savior, the dynamics of that relationship, as I am looking forward to what is guaranteed for my future in this moment, there's good. He's writing to people who are actually beginning to suffer. The rest of the book of First Peter makes that really clear. They're starting to be persecuted, they're starting to have some hard things happen. Right, they're not, this isn't the stand up and cheer moment, this isn't the end of the rom-com, this is this is probably not even a scene in the rom-com. This is more in the war movie, right? The modern, gritty war movie when everyone's like, what's going on? Why is this so hard? That's, that's the experience of the people at that particular moment. He's writing to them and he's anchoring them saying, yes, your future's guaranteed, but let's talk about right now. Let's talk about your, your faith journey. I want you to see how it's good. And the first thing I want you to understand is that the hard things you're going through, hard brings good when it's in the hands of God. So that's what he tells them. It's like verse six, in this rejoice though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, right? So for a little while, it's temporary, but it's necessary and it's tough. There's these trials, those are the right word for it. They're just hard things. In fact, they're hard to the point that they grieve you. It's not like, oh, bummer, I was hoping that didn't happen. It was like, oh, what do I do now? This is grievous, right? But then he goes on. You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Probably the idea is that I will actually share in the glory that Jesus is gonna have when he shows up. Right, it's not just it's, my life is going to reflect on him. It is, but then I'm gonna participate and I'm gonna enjoy that. So he's saying, look, the hard stuff you're going through right now is accomplishing great things. Again, we're looking now far into the future. It, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing what results from you being faithful in this moment, doing this part of the journey that's hard. Amazing things are gonna happen. Now that's still looking to the future, but between now and then, it speaks to that too. Because it talks about the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, right? We think of gold as this enduring thing, and it is. It's one of the most enduring and precious things that we know of, and yet it doesn't last, right? If, if God doesn't intervene and physics has its way, it'll be trillions of years, but it's all gonna fade. We're gonna, there's gonna, nothing's gonna be near anything else. It's all gonna be cold and dark and dead. And gold won't matter, it will have disintegrated, there won't be anything left. Right, now God will intervene, but that's the direction of the universe. And that is not true for me. You and I were designed to literally outlive the universe. Gold is temporary and lacks value compared to what God does in and through me. And he's saying, well, let me read it again. saying that this is happening so that you, your, your faith will be tested in genuine, right? It's not just about one day when Jesus comes, here's what's revealed. It's about during this journey, there's a shaping that's going on. The hard things, because you are, you've been born into this new hope and you're living this reality with Christ, the hard things that are going are actually shaping. They're forming. They're deepening. They're strengthening. Your life, your faith will stand the test and be genuine because of the things that are happening now. There's something that's being done to shape you and your character and your soul and your walk with God that's valuable and it's beautiful and it's good. Now, if you've lived any period of time and you've thought about it very much, I think you can track with what I've observed in my own life I love it when things are easy and when things are exciting. That's my favorite. But when I look backwards and I say, what has made the biggest difference? And what has contributed the most to the best in me? Almost without fail, it's not the happy moments. It's the hard ones. Because if I go through those hard moments as part of this faith journey, and it becomes part of that testing and refining, great things happen to me, in me, and ultimately in the end, for me, because of the strength of character, because of the humility or the, the wisdom or whatever it is that God's working into me, maybe the purification, because I've been wallowing in sin, maybe... There's all kinds of things that happen, right? Because of this difficult journey, as I've tried to walk that with Jesus, not perfectly, but but faithfully, he's working. And I'm becoming a different person. 
the one who is that tested genuine person. And that person is far better off. It's much better place to be that person than this person here. This person here could have had a lot more fun perhaps and never become this person and that would have been a tragedy. Have you seen that in your life? Sometimes it's the hardest things. And, and, and not, don't get me wrong, I'm not looking to sign up for hard things, nor am I suggesting that's what we need to jump at, right? There's no reason for me to pursue that. I just wanna pursue Jesus. But in pursuing Jesus, there's a lot of hard stuff. By the way, in not pursuing Jesus, there's a lot of hard stuff too. There's no way through life without that. But in this faith journey, this place where that becomes tested and, 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 and forged in the fires, better than refined gold, that journey is precious. And what he's saying is, look, I understand life's hard. I understand you're going through some tough things, and I want you to know hard brings good in the hands of God. Your future's guaranteed, but your faith walk itself is good, even when you're walking through the hard stuff. Because God's at work in that, and he's shaping you in that, and there's good things that he'll bring for that. And it doesn't take away the fact that it's hard. It doesn't, doesn't make it... It's not an invitation to be naive, glib, insensitive, right? If you talk to my brother, he's seen a lot of good things. He'd still like his house back and to reverse the tornado. He's not stupid. But, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing things that have happened through this. Right? The, the heart is still there, but, but the heart is going somewhere, and it's going somewhere good. That's what he's saying. Those who've been born into this new hope because of the resurrected Savior, the future's guaranteed, and, and right now, this faith journey that you're on, it's, it's, it's good, it's good. And then he, he adds to that, right? There's a second uh, set of those, right? So he goes on, you've been grieved by these things, tested genius of your faith, tested by fire, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then another kind of tension point, though, You've not seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the second part, it's like there's a tension, right? I'm living in the world, the world's hard. He's like, yeah, God's got that. I'm living in the world and I'm supposed to walk in relationship with Jesus, but that's complicated because he's not here. Right, Peter, the author of the book, saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, knew Jesus. The people he's writing to, second generation Christians, hadn't met Jesus, hadn't seen Jesus. They heard Peter talk about him, may have heard somebody else talk about him. They didn't get to see him. They were like you and me. We've not seen him. We've not touched him. We've not sat at his feet. And yet we're supposed to live in relationship with him. And he's saying, yes. Do that. I know it's, it's, it's different, it's complicated, but actually there's a personal dimension to this journey and that personal dimension is amazing because it results in, in, in a joy, an inexpressible, glorious joy of life. But it comes from this personal connection and that personal connection is complicated by the fact that there's a physical distance. So, a question I have to wrestle with is how do I stay connected? How do I stay connected with Jesus personally? 
One of the things that I find, you know, and, and you may find this, I, I know we're all over the map. It's Easter Sunday. Some of you are here. By the way, I, I just want to say, if I haven't already, I'm so glad you're here. You are always welcome. Love having you here at any point, at any time, wherever you are in your journey. But let's be honest. Some are here because it's Easter Sunday. I'll go. I mean, I'm kind of interested or I love somebody who's interested and it's part of what we do. And others are like, yeah, you know, I do have a relationship with God, but to be honest, it hasn't meant very much of late. We've been kind of distanced, but it's Easter. I guess I really should go. I mean, why would I not? This is so important, right? And we're strung it all, all along a continuum. You may come into the room where your relationship with Jesus is white hot and passionate. It's going great. We're all over the place. But here's one of the things that I have found in my journey. Because my life, while it's not always white hot and passionate, at this stage, by God's grace, stays pretty steadily focused, right? I, I, I pretty much run everything through the grid of what does God want and how do I do that? What is that supposed to look like, right? And, and, and that's a good thing, right? I, I get up every week and encourage you to do the same thing because that's what God calls us to and, and he empowers us for and it's great. But let's be honest, at least for me, that can get pretty sterile sometimes. Right, sometimes it gets pretty transactional, it gets pretty perfunctory, it gets, you fill in your own word, but it doesn't have the vibrancy or the personal connection, right? And it's like, okay, what does the word say? What do I need to do? What's the next task? And it's not, it's not empty. It's not like I'm being um, totally fleshly. It's like, no, I really do want to honor God. But somewhere along the way, that emotional, personal, relational connection kind of gets lost. I mean, isn't that why we have anniversaries? Right, you're married. There's this woman I live with. I gotta do this for her and this for her and this for her and she expects me to do this and this and this and this. Honestly, isn't that true, right? There's this guy that I live with and we got to, but when did, when did our marriage become a, like this limited liability corporation to accomplish certain goals, you know, fulfill the next a strategic plan for the Bishop family or whatever your family name is over the next quarter, right? That's why we have things like anniversaries to say, wait, time out, all that stuff. And then that's not unimportant, right? And kids come, it's like, good night. It's just logistics. We have, you know, our kids are out of the house. We still have to meet every week and go, what's coming? <laughs> and are we ready for that? And what do you need to do? What do I? And there's a lot of work to that. But that work isn't the relationship. It expresses the relationship. It flows from the relationship, but it can also get in the way of the relationship. And there's times when we just have to stop and say, wait a minute, it's not about that, it's about us. Right? And when I am born into the new hope that comes from a genuine relationship with the risen Savior, it's, it's not about the stuff, it's about us. It's about an actual relationship. God makes it personal. He says, look, there's this joy. I know, it's hard. I know you haven't seen him and you don't see him now, but... You love him, you trust him, and because of that relational dynamic, inexpressible joy flows in your life. I wonder if, and, and I think this is true in my own life anyway, it is. Sometimes when my joy coefficient is dropping, it's because I'm not being very personal with God. It's kind of devolved into uh, 
next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, and never stopping and saying, wait a minute, where's the personal connection? Now, it's not always easy to rekindle that. That can be some work. And it might be different for you than it is for me, but if you find yourself there, I just urge you to say, do it. What better day than Easter Sunday to say, this is just a day to celebrate Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Lord, help me to do that. Before I shoulder all of the burdens and responsibilities of what's next, let me just connect with you. And if you're not quite sure how to do that, fight for it. I mean, it's the same thing in a relationship, right? Just putting the anniversary on the calendar doesn't make it suddenly connect. You have to work at it. I have to work at it. But it says that this relational component, from that then flows this um, inexpressible joy. My joy actually doesn't come from worship. My joy doesn't come from the word of God. My joy doesn't come from faithfulness or being on mission. Those all matter. But my joy comes from the relationship with Jesus. You know him, you love him, you trust him. Even though you're not in the same room, that sets up a dynamic in your heart where joy is being birthed. It's about the personal connection. God makes it personal. And don't get me wrong, one of the best ways to have that personal connection is to dive into the word to step out on mission with God, to open yourself to let him do something deep. It might even be difficult, but transformative, right? Those very components of life matter a lot, but they are not the point. And the, the joy that I'm supposed to have doesn't actually flow from that, it flows from Jesus himself. And he's saying, you've been born again into this new relationship. And your future's guaranteed, but right now the journey's good. The journey's good because he will make hard good and because you get to relate to Jesus. Even though you're not in the same room, there's this personal dynamic that will allow real joy in your life. Joy that's deeper than your prevailing emotion of the moment. I think joy, joy and peace at least, and maybe there's more, but probably not too many, my, this is my observation. I, I haven't done any reading to, to help me with this. I'm just processing this. But I think this may be true, that there's, there's these more foundational kind of states that are emotional in a sense and even maybe beyond that. So there's this joy that can anchor me even when my heart is broken. Right? There's this shalom, this peace that can be mine even when I'm angry or frustrated or scared. And then, in fact, we'll begin to shape those other emotions, right? It's more foundational than just how I'm feeling in this moment, even if I'm not happy. There's this sense of rootedness and joy, right? And he's saying that unspeakable reality is, is flowing out of your soul because you're staying connected to Jesus, even though, even though you're not in the same room. And he's saying that's what I'm offering to you. That's what this new hope brings with it. Um, I, I've shared both of these stories before, so if you've been around a while, you may remember them, but I just think they're a really nice pair of um, stories to help us kind of bring this home. Um, Arthur Miller wrote his autobiography, the playwright, 
um, wrote his autobiography. It was called Time Bends. And in there, he writes about, among other things, his marriage to Marilyn Monroe. They were married for about five years. Got divorced in 61. In 1962, August of 62, she was found dead in her home of a drug overdose. And it's pretty widely accepted that she probably took her own life. So it's a really sad and tragic story. But it didn't, it, it didn't just happen. There's this whole backstory leading up to it. And Arthur Miller lived part of that story with her. Her life was unraveling. And as her husband, he was wanting to help her, wanting to serve her because he loved her. And he didn't quite know what to do. And there was this one evening where it was just really hard. And the doctor came. And, and they, this happened more than once. But this particular evening, he recounts. And, and they gave her a sedative so she could get some sleep. And so he's standing there over the bed watching his wife sleep. And she's been so fitful and so distraught, and now she's, she's at peace. It's not, it's not that deep peace that's flowing from within. It's a drug-induced peace, but at least she has a moment of respite. And he's looking at her, and as he's looking down, here's what he says in his autobiography. I found myself straining to imagine miracles. What if she were to wake, and I were able to say, God loves you, darling, and she were able to believe it? How I wished I still had my religion and she hers. Oh, in that moment, just to know that connection with God would have changed everything. Too bad. Too bad neither of us believed that. That's really sad. In August of 2017, um, Hurricane Harvey decided to park over the state of Texas and do its best to destroy the city of Houston. We sent a team in November, October, um, to help dig out. I was part of that team, and there was this one house that we went to, this woman named Yvonne, who lived in a a fairly just kind of working-class neighborhood and was just doing life one day to the next, doing the best that she could, and this flood came in and and just wreaked havoc, right? And um, she decided to try to wait it out in her house, And her house sat right on uh, the back of a creek. So when the floods came, it just kept coming up and up and up. And it rose up through her yard, up over the threshold of her house. And when the water started to come inside her house, her adult daughter, who was living with her at the time, said, Mom, we need to get out of here. But they didn't know where to go. They had another building a little further back, kind of like a shed, but a whole lot better. Um, And it was up quite a bit. You had to climb many steps to get up to it. And so they decided, we'll try to weather it out there. So they stayed in that building for four days as they watched one step after another after another disappear underwater, wondering what's going to happen. Now, she's recounting this tale to us, and it was a very riveting and gut-wrenching tale is what she's going through because in her house, then this is coming up and destroying everything. She's watching it, wondering what's going to happen to her. Finally, just kind of like in the story of Noah, it just begins to subside and fade down. And when she's finally able to get back into her house, everything's destroyed. And there's a water line four feet up on her walls. So that's how high the water got inside her house. Right? She's recounting all of this to a team that has come literally to destroy her house, to finish the job, 
Take it back to just the studs because maybe, maybe there's enough integrity in that that they can start to rebuild. My job was literally to bring her house down around our ears. I had to pull out the ceiling in a number of rooms, so I'm just crashing this stuff down. It's, it's pretty surreal to be doing that destructive work as an act of love and service. And she was deeply grateful, and she's recounting this. And as she's recounting this and reliving it, she's getting distressed and she interrupts herself in the middle of her story and she says, I just need me some Jesus. Right, she was a woman of faith and she just stopped and said, wait, I need some perspective here. I need to run into that relationship. I need to be close to Jesus because that's the only thing that'll help me in this moment. I think there's a contrast between Marilyn Monroe who took her own life sadly, and couldn't believe anything, and Yvonne, whose life was pretty, pretty tragically upended, but was able to, in that moment, say, I need me some Jesus. That's where I'm gonna, that's where I'm gonna anchor. And it wasn't theoretical, and it wasn't even just theological, it was very personal. One thing that we found interesting is her Bible we found in the rubble, in the debris there, it had kind of floated in, and it was open. You couldn't close it anymore. It was totally ruined. But it was interesting. It was open to Romans chapter 12, and at the moment, we looked at it, and we thought, whoa, this is an amazing God moment, because the verse that stuck out to us was Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and that's exactly why we were there. But as I've looked back on that, I think maybe verse 12 was more for Yvonne, because Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You have hope, that's cause for joy. It's hard right now, God's working good. Be patient and stay close, stay close. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two quick thoughts. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a day to celebrate. And that's what this passage is about. It starts by saying, praise God. And then it just rehearses, isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful? He hasn't told us to do anything. He will. There's a lot of stuff. Peter says, you know, think about this and do that and don't do this. That's all in there. But we so quickly run to those things. We're so addicted to being moralists. Like, I gotta do this and this. Like, boy, stop, stop. Just celebrate. God is amazing and Jesus is risen from the dead and you have a new hope and that's glorious and that guarantees your future and it makes the journey right now, hard though it may be, genuinely good. Just enjoy that. Celebrate that. There's plenty of time to come to all the obligations. Right, that's the way this passage is set up and my encouragement is of all days, Easter should be that. Just celebrate. The other thing I would point out is it says that we have been born again to a living hope. It's using language that showed up before. Jesus, in fact, uses that in John 3 where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. A little earlier in that chapter, he's talking to a key teacher who's wrestling with how do you really connect with God? 
And he's struggling with things so many of us struggle with. I've got to be doing something. And Jesus is saying that's not the point. In fact, you can't even be you. You must be born again. The hope that comes from the resurrection comes for those who have been born again into that new hope. That new birth, that birth from above comes with me giving up being me as I've always been and saying I want to be me as you want me to be. But I don't even know how to do that. I'm not committing to fix myself. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. I trust you. I believe you died in my place. That's what Good Friday's all about. God entered this world, became human. He lived a sinless life. He lived everything that we lived except he didn't sin and therefore had no condemnation and in fact was righteous. And so he was able to stand in my place because sin is rebellion against God. It is cosmic treason. It is me saying, I'm going to be God and call the shots. I may not look at it that way, but it is what it is. And God is God. He doesn't allow that. That has to be punished. That sits under judgment. That judgment is death. It has a death penalty. And Jesus says, I'll pay that penalty. Right, so he died for me, he died for you. And then he rose again from the dead and said, and now new life is available. Sin has been conquered, Satan's been conquered, death has been conquered, you can be free, you can be remade, you can be reborn. If you trust, if you surrender and trust, if you entrust, not just affirm, yeah, Jesus did those things, but say, that's, that's for me. I'm committed to that. I'm in. Right? If you've never responded to Jesus and the gospel that way, that's what, that's what today's about. And there's nothing better, nothing more glorious, nothing more helpful that you can do than that. That's when my future's actually guaranteed and my faith walk now will be good, though it may be hard. That's when things change. And until then, we all just are waiting for the time when time runs out. And then it's condemnation. That's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die so that you could be condemned. He died so you could be free. Will you let him do that? Will you accept him? Will you surrender and trust? You can do that in your heart right now. And we'd love to talk to you about that. You can write on a card and drop that in the offering. I'm gonna ask the ushers to come. We're gonna take our offering. Um, or put it at the door, you can reach out online. But it starts with a response from your heart to God. And then we'd like to talk to you about that. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for Easter, the victory of the resurrection and the fact that we're born again to a new hope, a living hope. Pray that you would help us to celebrate well today, to just delight in that. And Lord, any who don't know you, any who've not responded, would you bring them to a place of understanding and repentance and trust. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.